0: In this episode, we're going to talk with Emma Kiaye. Me and Emma had a great conversation, and I really had like a really good time doing this episode. <laughs> uh, Emma really has character, and I really love like he has this like perfect podcast voice, which makes it like even more fun. I think, and I was like, "Damn, this is so interesting." You will hear soon. Um, but not only is it cool in that way; he also does a uh, really important work. And it was at this international uh, conference or like this effective altruism conference that we met, where we sat down and we talked about, especially the topic of weapons of mass destruction. And uh, we also talked about work in Middle East. So who is Emad? Emad works at the intersection of political risk, diplomacy and disarmament. And he's the director at the Middle East Treaty Organization. Uh, which seeks to advance peace, security and weapons of mass destruction disarmament in the Middle East. He is also a co-author of a book on the topic of uh, weapons of mass destruction um, and is also appeared in a documentary on cyber warfare. And um, he was previously like a researcher for Princeton University School of Public and International Affairs. That's a long name and an associate at Columbia University Center for International Conflict Resolution. I think that's actually a longer name. (laughs) And then uh, uh, he also lectures on uh, security and disarmament issues at various academic and policy institutions worldwide, uh, such as uh, Harvard University, International Peace Institute, King's College London, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, University of Cape Town and Yale University, and United Nations and then he also regularly contributes and provides interviews to uh, national and international media uh, including Al Jazeera, BBC, Business Insider, CBS Foreign Policy, NPR and PBS and probably more and yeah, damn. That's basically his intro. Like he is really a man that is doing so much work, and it was a really big honor for me to be able to sit down uh, and talk with you, Ahmad. Um, so thanks again for doing that. I'm really looking forward to meeting you again. So I think that's it. To everyone who is either watching this or you are listening in, this is the conversation between me and Ahmad. Perfect. Thank you, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Martin. I appreciate that, Ahmad. <laughs> the beauty of multilateralism. Can you explain what what is multilateralism?
1: So multilateralism is just one avenue through which we can discuss amongst different parties or people that represent the interest of their geography or nation. So okay. multilateralism is a form of dialogue mm-hmm. and discussion where it involves more than Two countries or state parties or stakeholders in a negotiation. To give you an example, a multilateral diplomacy mm-hmm. is when, for example, at the United Nations, Iran, with the world powers such as France, UK, Russia, China, and the United States, negotiated together through a multilateral yeah. diplomacy an agreement on making sure Iran's nuclear program is peaceful.
0: Hmm. And how is your work connected with that?
1: Well, it's very central to what I do, Hmm. which is mostly focused on weapons of mass destruction disarmament. Hmm. And the avenue through which uh, we aim to do so is advocacy, Hmm. diplomacy, civil uh, action or campaigns. And education and outreach. And all of that is framed in many multilateral ways of dialogue and trust building. So mm. it involves a lot of actors. Mm. Of course, some are more important, others are still necessary.
0: Exactly. Huh. Yeah. I was just really curious because I was listening to a podcast uh, that your organization has in the zone. That yes. is your organization's podcast, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. In Amazing. the zone. It's in fantastic. Zone. Yeah. And I learned, uh, yeah, quite a lot when I was like doing the research and I'm looking forward to uh, listen to it more, mm-hmm. um, to go more in depth about what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Um, so, I don't know, should we start with uh, map, <laughs> weapons of mass destruction? Like if you can give, give like a little one oh one for people who like it kind of makes sense or like in the wording, like mm-hmm. it's ma- weapons of mass destruction, but like, um, yeah, C- could you explain to us? So Martin, it's yeah. weapons of mass destruction are classified as weapons
1: which are indiscriminate in the way that they are used and the victims through which are impacted by the use of such weapons. Hmm. To make it simpler, nuclear weapons, Chemical weapons and biological weapons constitute what is known as weapons of mass destruction. All of those have no boundaries once they're used. You cannot really control the level of a radioactive fallout that can happen by an explosion of a nuclear warhead depending on the wind even or climate or the possibility of its proximity to water or to some different terrain that radiation can spread pretty wide and therefore in doing so, not distinguish between who's a soldier
0: Hmm.
1: and who's an innocent civilian. And who will be impacted today, but also who will be impacted in the future. Hmm. So many of these weapons, um, once they're used, have intergenerational impact. Hmm. So there'll be high rates of cancer, or deformations that happen as a result of exposure to radiation hmm. and in in a case of nuclear weapons but we've also seen it in chemical weapons hmm. and in biological weapons
0: exactly and um <clears throat> like do you know like what's like the status of this um today and maybe if you have any examples uh which maybe people can remember or yeah you can explain hula all right. right. Oh, yeah. So, weapons of
1: mass destruction, some of them go back a long time ago mm. compared to more advances in the technologies that make these weapons even more lethal today. When it comes to nuclear weapons, of course, the first use of nuclear weapons was at the near end of the Second World War by the United States on the two cities of Japan, mm. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. So, that was the first use of nuclear weapons and luckily for us, the last time since it has been used. Mm. So more than 70 years ago. But in addition to that, we have the use of chemical weapons that unfortunately have ha- occurred more in frequency. The most recent one that may be uh, revel- relevant to your, uh, to your listeners is the ones that were used in Syrian conflict So in Syria, there's been multiple cases of chemical weapons use. Saddam Hussein of Iraq used uh, chemical weapons on its own population of the Kurds in Halabja, but also on Iranians in that bloody eight year war that they fought in the eighties. So we do have cases of both use of such weapons, but also, just quickly Martin, there's also the testing of these weapons. Because you can't just build a nuclear weapon, you've got to make sure that it works yeah, yeah. when you actually send it to your target. Mm. So, over the years and decades, there's been thousands of nuclear weapon testing done by the nine countries that possess them.
0: Mm. All right? It's only nine countries. It's only nine. Yeah. Mm.
1: And that's going to be an advantage for us when we discuss how we can go about eradicating these
0: weapons. Exactly.
1: But nuclear weapons are possessed today by nine countries mm. and they have tested it in one of the most beautiful places across the world. What do I mean by that? Because of the history of colonization, history of those who have the power to actually use and test these weapons. Mm. France, for example, has used its nuclear weapons testing in Algeria that has to this day impacted thousands who were exposed to the radiation. And, and they have to still be held responsible for that. Hmm. To go into United States, United States has used nuclear weapons on beautiful islands in the Pacific, in, uh, in many of its own territory, in the New Mexico or Nevada. Hmm. And the list goes on. Uh, the more we look at, for example, the Soviet Union and later on Russia, they've used enormous amounts of their nuclear weapons testing in Kazakhstan. And Mm. these are important to note because it's another place where we can see the impact of these nuclear weapons on the populations nearby, but also sadly to our environment and our ecosystems.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Like, I think I've seen some videos where like, blow stuff up in like the ocean for example yes i'm just imagining all the life yes like what happens i guess it just like like <laughs> away or
1: there is just oh, all got very depressing for a second but i promise you that we will hopefully have some ray of lights but thank you the the shocking thing about these type of weapons and i'm going to focus on nuclear but at any time we can you know go broader okay but when you look at the humanitarian impact of nuclear weapons and what nuclear weapons actually does to the impact zone where the nuclear weapon has exploded, think of it in three layers. One is the explosion itself. And it burns everything in its sort of like, you know, circumference or radius.
0: Mm.
1: Number two, it releases an electromagnetic pulse that takes out Hmm. anything that does have any electronics or telecommunication or any form of, you know, wow. I mean, think about it. None of this could be happening if there's going to be a massive electric magnetic pulse. And number three, of course, the radiation. These are the initial impacts. Now, that explosion burns everything. Everything in its path. So much so that there are images you can Google, even though they want to do product placement for Google, that shows you that the shadow, that they call them the shadow victims, Mm -hmm. where humans were burnt to ashes, Mm -hmm. then the only thing that remained was just as if it's their shadow. Mm. So it vaporizes matter. Mm. So that turns it into the soot that is pumped up into our atmosphere. And to get even more, unfortunately, dire, it can cause climatic changes Mm. that, if done so, in a much higher frequency and concentration, can result in nuclear winter and the death of billions of people. So, this is serious.
0: It is, yeah. Yeah, so thank you for working on this.
1: Hmm. But, Martin, let's get to somewhere where we can actually be hopeful because I don't want it to be there because (laughs) these are the impacts. This is the consequences. Exactly. These are the causes. But these weapons are man made, Mm. didn't appear
0: from Mars. We made it. True, yeah. And we can undo it. Exactly, let's move into that. Yeah, so how are you working with that, Emad?
1: So we are the Middle East Treaty Organization. Yes. And our work is to eradicate weapons of mass destruction Amazing. from the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we would like to start off by showing that in the most, one of the most troubled regions in the world, if we can pull this off, why can't we pull it off across the world? The good news is that the whole of the Southern Hemisphere in the world that accounts for about 118 countries, are part of what is known as nuclear weapons-free zones. Mm-hmm. These are geographies, spaces, such as, for example, the whole continent of Africa mm-hmm. that is part of a nuclear weapons-free zone. Mm-hmm. And that came about because countries got together and like, yeah, you know what? We don't want nuclear weapons in our space. Mm-hmm. And they reached these agreements yeah, and they have made sure that through other bilateral, multilateral Mm. agreements that they enforce the realization of such zones. Mm. And so it's not something new. It's something that we can build on. Mm. Unfortunately, those weapons of mass destruction in the Middle East, in case, in this circumstance, falls into very specific areas. When it comes to nuclear weapons, the only country with nuclear weapons is Ezra. And that monopolization of nuclear weapons may not be able to withstand time and change and possible policies that other countries may have in advancing their own nuclear weapons programs.
0: Hmm.
1: And we've seen that many countries in the region are close. Iran, for example, has quite an advanced nuclear program. Saudi Arabia has become an incre- increasingly worrisome country when it comes to its nuclear program. And so we are... At a cusp, at a juncture, Mm -hmm. we have to decide as a region, do we advance an area free from these weapons Mm -hmm. or do we hold on to the few that we got in one or two countries that will then result in an arms race and ultimately an existential threat to not just our own citizens and our own countries, but also to the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. it's a collective action that is necessary mm-hmm. to being around these zones. And we do it through advocacy, policy, technical solutions, mm-hmm. a legal approach to making treaties. And of course, what we're doing here today, to be able to have outreach, awareness, mm-hmm. education, and all of those good stuff mm-hmm. that gives us a pathway forward. Mm-hmm. We know how to do it. Martin, it's actually not that difficult, mm-hmm. but we need a collective action from grassroots to policy at the highest levels of government to merge. And that is what we're doing at the Middle East Treaty Organization.
0: Amazing. And uh, can I ask, like, what are, like, the challenges? Like, what's hard? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing much. Just a little bit of uh, hiccups here and there. No, there are challenges. Yeah. Um, Hula. Uh, Let me do quickly five. Yeah, cool. All right. Yeah. Number one, other countries. Remember those nine countries that I told you that you have, have nuclear weapons? Mm-hmm. Those are the P5, the five permanent members of the UN Security Council. Okay. That's, That's France, Germany, France, uh, UK, Russia. Where am I forgetting? China and the US. Cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. They've got their nukes, plus North Korea, Pakistan, India, and Israel. Hmm. If we want these weapons to be eradicated,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we need a collective action in all of those nine countries. Mm-hmm. But they have to be tailored. Some are democratic. Some are a little bit less democratic. Some have their own national security interests. So it requires a global push for the political will needed for decision makers and policy makers in these nine countries to decide that nuclear weapons does not serve the national security interest of their country. Mm. And it puts into risk and jeopardy our collective human existence. So in a sense, nine countries with nuclear weapons Mm. are holding all of us hostage. So we Mm. have the right to be able to say, we no longer want it. Yeah. And for that, we need to have a collective action. Okay. Yeah. So that's a major issue. The yeah. political will is lacking. Okay. Yeah. So it's an um, important one. Quickly, on a second one. Yeah. We have also geopolitical realities, what is happening between Russia and Ukraine, and by extension to NATO. These geopolitical realities makes it more difficult to call for disarmament at a time when people are asking for more securitization Mm. of our societies. Mm. Number three is the ignorance and belief that actually nuclear weapons provide us security. And this Mm. has to be dismantled in its irrationality. Mm. That's this mutually assured destruction has never actually worked. Deterrence doesn't work it actually puts us in further risk. Number four, the major obstacle we have is the fact that, that we are blind to the uh, importance and the risk that new technologies will apply to our security when it comes to command and control of nuclear warheads. Mm. So opens it up to sabotage and also other infrastructural damages. Mm. Finally, is the lack of consciousness globally amongst mm. us and others that we actually have the power to make this happen. So it's about expanding the realm of the possibilities Mm. and to believe in the possible and Mm. to see a vision of a future where the world can exist without Mm. nuclear weapons because we really don't need them to be able to solve our differences. Mm. And that's where non-violent means of communication, negotiation and conflict resolution and mediation is so paramount and important in solving our differences. when well, we will return back to the barrel of the gun.
0: Hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, can we? Uh, okay. You took five of the challenges. Is it possible to take five like good stories or something? Good stories. Yeah. Well, like a good um, like something that gives hope. Yes. And like yes. Oh yes. <laughs> or I wouldn't be in this business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: See. Hmm. The, You got to believe. it doesn't matter if it's about disarmament, Mm. it doesn't matter if it's about climate change, Mm -hmm. it's about uh, inequality or other challenges that we're facing in society. Mm. If you're working in those areas and if you believe that there can actually be change, Mm. you've got to believe
0: it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It doesn't make a point to say, I want uh, climate change to be uh, reduced and then reflected in our ecosystems and our practices, in our industries, in our consumption, in our thinking about economic models, without actually believing that you can do this. Mm. In the same vein, there is a lot of hope, all right? Mm. So I'm gonna give you, oh my goodness, quick five. Okay, cool. We have a new treaty, it's called the Nuclear Ban Treaty or the TPNW. It went into effect in 2021, not that long ago, Mm. but for the first time under international law, Mm. makes nuclear weapons illegal. What does that mean? We can actually take countries and say, your nuclear warheads are illegal. We can no longer allow you to possess them. And this allows us another tool in our tool bag in terms of advancing disarmament. Number two, as I mentioned, half the world, hello, Southern hemisphere is all nuclear weapons free. Mm. So it's only nine countries. Yeah. We are 196, seven countries, however you want to call it. Mm. So there's not that many, actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm. this can be done. Oh, yeah. And number three, let's talk about the fact that at the height of the Cold War, mm. when the Soviet Union and the US had almost 80,000 warheads of nuclear weapons, mm they got into bilateral agreements Mm -hmm. that was advanced through civil society action and the urgency of what a nuclear war could look like. Mm -hmm. And that led to these two adversaries. I'm talking about the Soviet Union and the United States Mm -hmm. in the 80s, 70s, and 60s, working together to reduce their weapons, stockpiles of nuclear weapons. If they could do it then, and I know it doesn't seem that easy right now between what's Mm. happening with Russia Mm. and Ukraine and NATO by extension, Mm. but those communications are necessary Mm. to bring us back from the brink of extinction. Mm. We've done it in the Cold War. I don't see a reason why we can't do it now. Mm. Number four, we have now the technological advancements both in actually making the risk worse, but also allowing solutions that allow us to dismantle these weapons and to get rid of that waste a little bit in a better way. So we have a much larger knowledge base that we've had ever in our history of our existence Mm. in terms of how do we get rid of these weapons and how we can verify that they've been dismantled, destroyed, and eradicated. Mm. So we can actually do this. We can monitor it with new technologies. And we know how to, we did it with the Iranians. Mm. So we know it's possible. And finally, we are interconnected world. We're not living under rocks anymore. Mm -hmm. So you know what? If we actually demand on a global scale from grassroots all the way up, Mm. that we no longer need such existential man-made threats facing us to continue to threaten us that can be profoundly powerful and that is the power we have. We can get involved in so many layers and ways through our own advocacy, learning more about a topic, volunteering, donating, and donating in terms of our time or money or whatever it is, but to find ways that we can engage on a topic that if we actually prioritize, we see its interconnectedness in terms of climate or social justice and the fact that through it we can really remove one major symbol of power that is actually powerless once we see the true potential that we have in speaking truth to power in this case nine countries hmm. get them to change their way
0: we can do it amazing so tell me about The Zone. Um, hmm. All right. The Zone
1: sounds like some some sci-fi, but The Zone is basically a geographical area. And I want you to imagine this with me so that we can see this space, because now we're going to go into the Middle East. Middle East is a man-made concept too. I mean, what is the Middle East? Mm. It's not really middle of anywhere. and. <laughs> and it's not really in the middle of the East, but for the sake of our conversation, it includes 22 countries of the Arab League, plus Iran and Israel. Hmm. The geographical size on the far East is Iran, goes as South as the Comoros Islands in Africa, West to Western Sahara, and it includes such a vast space that it will in, inhabits half a billion people and mm-hmm. would have in size about twice the geographical space of the European Union. So this is a massive, massive space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The zone will have this parameter, okay, this boundary
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a WMD-free zone In the middle east is to create this geographical space free from all weapons of mass destruction chemical biological and nuclear now we did talk about nuclear weapons free zones Mm -hmm. and those are areas which is free from just nuclear weapons now in the middle east what we are embarking on is the first ever zone that is free from all of these wmds in the world So it's not an easy undertaking. Hmm. And it will require these 24 countries to come together and negotiate through multilateralism and in support of world powers that we have discussed, including that five permanent members of the UN Security Council, Mm -hmm. to come to a text of a treaty that puts and binds these countries to promise and be obligated to never possess, use, stockpile nuclear weapons, chemical weapons and biological weapons. And to make Mm. sure that they don't cheat because we can't trust everybody,
0: Mm.
1: we put into place a comprehensive verification, monitoring and inspection of these countries Chemical, biological and nuclear civilian mm. programs so that we know they're not diverting it to weaponization. Mm. So the zone is that a beautiful possible space where mm. we don't have these weapons that could
0: take us out. Mm. Does does it exist or like that's what you're working with now? To create that's what we're working towards. Okay, so we've got better. that yeah, nuclear yeah. weapons-free zone. Mm-hmm.
1: I told you the yes. whole of southern hemisphere. Even some countries have mm-hmm. decided that a single country mm. they want to be nuclear weapons-free zones, yeah. such as Mongolia. Mm. And you're like, why would Mongolia decide I want to be a nuclear weapons-free zone? Mm. Well, because it's surrounded by three nuclear weapon states mm. of India, China, and Russia. So they decide, you know what? Hula we're going to make our own nuclear weapons free zone because uh, this is not going to look
0: good. Yeah.
1: And by doing so, Mm. they make the promise that they are not seeking or wanting nuclear weapons so it can put to ease these regional powers that they're surrounded by.
0: Yeah. Okay, got it. Like, yeah. They're really showing that we will never use this. So like we're no threat in that way, at least. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, does it exist some other zones like that? Well, uh, let's
1: quickly go through them. Cool. Just so that we have an idea. While United States has got nuclear weapons,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mexico doesn't. And the whole of Latin America, South America, doesn't have nuclear weapons. They too came together as nations of South America Talking about like Uruguay, Paraguay, Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil later on, and Argentina even more later on, mm. came together and decided again through an agreement that we don't want nuclear weapons. Mm. And we're going to create this zone or space where you can't introduce it even if you have it. Mm. So you can't even bring nuclear weapons through your boats into our waters. Mm. Mm-hmm. You can put it on your military bases if you have some. Uh, let's say United States has a military base in Colombia. It cannot put its nuclear weapons on that military base
0: mm-hmm.
1: because Colombia has signed on to this commitment not to have nuclear weapons on its territory. But mm-hmm. guess what? There is one place that doesn't do that, and that's Europe. But I'll come to Europe in a minute mm-hmm. because we need to sober up about what's happening on this continent. Mm -hmm. so Oceania New Zealand Australia and other countries in the Pacific are also part of a nuclear weapons free zone Arctic Antarctica and of course these single countries such as Mongolia
0: Mm.
1: so we've got the experience we know how to go about it each one of these ones that I talked about all went through their own processes their own challenges and they overcome those obstacles Through, again, finding innovative ways. May that be through policy, advocacy, communication, discussion, diplomacy. Hmm. Or as far as making like timelines that would allow others to join first and those who are more problematic to join a little bit later. Hmm. So there are many ways we can go about doing this. Hmm. But we have to make sure that we speak to and consult with Hmm. all the stakeholders that are involved. Hmm. So in the Middle East, That means the 24 countries, but also the people in those 24 countries, and also the policymakers that could assist in this process, but also the technical understanding, those experts that come from academia or in the sciences, that can provide us ways to do this better. Mm. That could come from the Middle East or beyond.
0: Mm.
1: And people who want to really, really, truly contribute to advancing disarmament, in a troubled region that if it goes wrong unfortunately that middle east part that we talked about that is man-made in a name or a concept mm. Thus, it's in the middle of three major uh, connecting continents of africa europe and asia so in that sense middle east is important as a strategic location mm. if things go well it can spread that positivity mm. Hmm. If things go wrong, hmm. then unfortunately it can go a completely different way.
0: Hmm. Can I ask how you got involved in this? Like, how has your journey been? Hula.
1: Martin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I made a mistake in the situation. <laughs> go back to school and learn and don't do this. <laughs> no, I was going to say no. I, I was really always interested in in uh, how do we look at transformative change on issues that are seemingly impossible.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So
1: um, that's why I went into economics, into political science, philosophy, international relations, and seen how those you know, pillars of our society connect and how can I help with advancing economic development but also political development? The issues of inequality have been quite important because and when we look at even the issues of nuclear weapons, there is an ego involved, there's a power play involved in the structures of our international order where few countries can possess these weapons and really bully others in terms of, you know, pushing their own agendas either through threats or by saying, we will help you build your own or we will turn a blind eye if you're going to proliferate as long as you're on our side. So it divides the world on the basis of power, greed and influence and the use of violence or coercive policies that can result in a lot of harm. So ultimately, truly, I would say that the urge within me is one that uh, seeks out justice, Hmm. uh, equality, but also a level of consciousness for us to be able to see the value in each other. Hmm. That uh, I really truly found the European Union motto really interesting. You know, it's like... um, It's a lot of differences, of course, amongst the countries that are part of the United Nations, Mm. but united in our difference. And so it's it's sort of a nice tagline. Mm. And I think that's the realization that while there is inequality, that that inequality is structural. And that structure is not fixed. That structure can be transformed. Mm. How we transform it, inevitably is as important in terms of our personal transformation. So how do we want to live our own existence? Mm. Do we want to transform ourselves into beings that are conscious of our environment, ecosystem, that is in harmony with those around us? Mm. Or do we want to be constantly threatening others yeah. and bullying others and putting them in the corner and mm. taking away their resources, or extracting whatever they have and leaving them homeless or hungry or destitute. Oof. We got to rethink uh, what vision we want, mm. even as in a macro level of you know the grand scheme of things, but also at the micro level in terms of what's inside us, mm. in our own communities, in our own families, in our own relations amongst each
0: other, but also with ourselves. Amazing, <laughs> beautiful. Um, and for other people who might feel some of the same, and are, yeah, have listened or watched so far, and are like, okay, damn, like, this is something like I think I want to learn more about or uh, maybe help with. Like, yeah. uh, how can people get engaged or like how can people learn more? Do you have some favorite resources? And yeah. Oh, yes, Martin, this is the most important part.
1: Mm. Um, If uh, anyone is interested in looking at these issues of existential threats facing up species, and one of them is weapons of mass destruction, we also have the climate, we also have artificial intelligence, and there's a lot of other factors that play into this but there are a handful of existential threats, including a you know a asteroid hitting us. But mm. that one you don't that much you won't have that much control over. Mm. So first, realize how much control can we have, and let's learn first. So awareness is number one. Learn if you want resources, go to our websites, and of course, reach out to myself or the team or our, you know emails and contact details and our social media Mm -hmm. platforms everything is on the website so we're reachable amazing (laughs) Uh, and number two it doesn't have to be about us Uh, there are amazing organizations out there who are Mm -hmm. really working on this so um we can also be a gateway in helping you identify other places and other people Mm. who are working on this because it is a collective effort. We have amazing partners who are doing incredible work advancing disarmament and security, human security and state security, but also like just thinking more holistically about these issues. Mm. And finally, volunteer. Come and sit in one of our webinars, take one of our educational courses or workshops. Mm. Um Donate and see us bringing more, uh, you know, through those resources, bringing more expertise or uh, we can uh, even present at your university, at your places of worship or at your community centers or even in the park. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the beauty of it. The more of us know about this and know about the solutions to this issue, the more that we can make advancement on this Mm -hmm. and the more we can infect Others with the hope, mm. but also the means and a pathway that is available today mm. for a better future that we can actually live quite soon and accelerate that transformation only when you, I and others realize that <laughs> this is actually possible.
0: Mm. So let's just do it. Contact us. Yalla, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Also, you mentioned one word here. Um, Yalla, <laughs> no, <laughs> it means let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but another one as well, <laughs> which is a bit harder uh, to understand, uh, or for me, uh, pro- probably a lot of the listeners and viewers, and yeah, you uh, will absolutely know what that is. What do you say? Um, uh, proliferation and I think I uh, also like non-proliferation agreement or something like right. can you like just I just want to know like hang, hang in there with you like yeah perfect yeah
1: thank you so much for pointing that out so I know sir, sometimes there's jargons in these things so uh, and I'm sorry about that uh, proliferation another word is like spread the spreading of these weapons. Mm -hmm. So to proliferate is to spread. Mm. Non-proliferation means not to spread it. Mm. So what can we do not to spread weapons of mass destruction Mm -hmm. uh, in the Middle East? So that's non-proliferation. Disarmament is a little bit different. Disarmament is like disarming. If I want to disarm you from your coffee, Mm. I will grab that cup Mm -hmm. and disarming you. So disarmament means to actually dismantle, to disarm, to remove nuclear weapons from your stockpiles or from your military security doctrine or whatever in case of having the nuclear weapons option on the floor, on the table. So uh, disarmament and non-proliferation actually go together quite well. Hmm. One stops the spread of it and one makes sure that we can dismantle what we have. And that connects to that thing that I was talking about, Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, Mm -hmm. which is the NPT. That's just one of the ways in which international community has come together and signed treaties. And in that treaty, that was signed a long time ago,
0: 1970.
1: Mm. The key here is that those five nuclear weapons states that I keep talking about that are sitting in the UN Security Council, mm-hmm. they're also part of the NPT, this Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty.
0: Mm.
1: And this treaty is a bargain. It says, don't build nuclear weapons, but we give you some access to nuclear technology because nuclear technology can be used for energy generation, but also for pharmaceuticals, mm. for medicine, for farming. So it's got a lot of applications, can be useful. But the bargain was, don't build it and I give you the technology just for peaceful uses. But the other side of the bargain is that I, as other countries, will not build nuclear weapons, hoping that you, nuclear weapon states, AKA US, Russia, France, Britain, and China, you start dismantling yours. So one is non-proliferation and one is dismantlement. Unfortunately, those world powers have yet to dismantle their nuclear warheads. And that is where, again, requires a collective but targeted, tailored approach to how do we go about convincing these nine governments on the merits to having their nuclear weapons dismantled.
0: Okay, thanks. Then I understand. (laughs) All right. Um, What's next for you? Well,
1: once we have our nuclear weapons free zone and Mm. WMD free zone in the Middle East, then we're going to go even more global. We're going to connect this to these other places that I'm talking, talked about. We are part of a global push for disarmament and non-proliferation and we are seeing our better ways for us to connect with partners, to spread the news about the possibilities. And personally for me, I'm uh, interested in looking at the uh, new realms of risks that are coming and on the horizon, such as killer robots, which are you know autonomous um, vehicles that unfortunately are now introduced into the military scene.
0: Mm.
1: And of course, artificial intelligence, and how that can play a part in causing havoc, in maybe you know, launching or
0: accessing
1: these unfortunate control systems that mm. could then result in a nuclear war. Mm. And um, once I'm done with that, I would like to retire. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And be in a world where it's <clears throat> prosperous, it's mm. equitable, is one that sees value Mm. and puts as my dear friend and one of the directors of meta always says that if our societies value not money but human life as the most important of how we measure uh, our societies then um, we will put human life and our environmental ecosystems that include our other sentient beings in an approach that will then require us not to resolve our differences through violent means. (laughs) That there are by far better ways for you and I, or two countries, or two communities, to solve their problems than to kill each other. And worse than that, to threaten not just each other, but the rest of humanity. So, Martin, there's still a lot of hope Mm. because it is such a beautiful world. Mm. There's so much good. And ultimately, if we are more aware of it, not only are we not alone, but there is a lot of us that want the same thing. A world that is kinder, more conscious and more open to the abundance of opportunities to make it better. And in that, we all have a part. Just do your best. But find a thing that has meaning, not just for you, but for something that is way above you. And I will continue to do my part
0: mm.
1: and I hope that you and others will join us in supporting us and accelerating this transformation that we can achieve hopefully in a much more quicker, faster, and
0: effective way. So thank you, Martin, for your time and giving me this platform to be able to speak about these issues. Thank you so much for taking the time and what a beautiful ending. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Thank you again, Emad. I really appreciate the conversation and thanks to everybody who is watching um, or listening. And if you have any feedback, please leave them in the comments. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts or um, topics or guests and so on, please let me know. And yeah, I hope you learned something new today. I learned a lot from uh, being with Emad. Um, Not only the work that you do, Emad, um, but also just the way you... Uh, go through this world as a human being i found uh amazing um i really appreciate that that time <laughs> so um yeah i think that's it hope every everybody will have an amazing rest of your day good morning good day good afternoon good night and uh, hope to see you in the next episode okay bye bye